0: Spending 10 minutes staring at the counter looking for anything at the store? Are political views opposite to yours always wrong? But what puts the fudge on the cookie is when some kid comes up to you and says,
1: Okay, boomer.
0: I'm Robert Rickman, a baby boomer. And we'll cover boomer news, things we need to do and are not doing, plus music, features, a coffee break, I'll explain that in the program, and more. Okay, Boomer, 10 o'clock Tuesday mornings on WDBX.
1: Okay, Boomer.
0: Hey, try this. You retire to your TV and you start forgetting things, but you take a hit of, you know what I mean, and it all comes back. Maybe. We'll talk about two studies looking at the disadvantages of retiring with nothing to do and the advantages of seniors smoking pot. And we'll look at seniors' reading habits that are slowly transitioning into listening habits.
1: A book that I don't particularly love but I want to try to get through, I can turn on the audiobook and it keeps going whether my concentration is there or not. So I can still come back to it.
0: That's librarian Amber Philbeck of the Carterville Library. Then we talked with the van driver with the Murfreesboro Senior Center, who looks back at his former job.
2: They may not be able to get back to me because I might not be there that next day, but they're going to get the officer that comes in behind me.
0: That's Michael Jennings, a former Illinois State Prison Guard. And from the deadly serious, we go to the incredibly tasty.
3: And before I knew it, I had the whole container ate in the car before we pulled in the driveway.
0: That's Jill Graskowitz, the director of Club 60 in Marion. And what did Jill find so tasty? Freeze-dried candy. Plus, it doesn't stick to your dental work. And now, Boomer News. A recent large study from Israel just published concludes that long COVID symptoms in patients who had mild infections resolved within a year. But some physicians say the research was flawed and the findings don't match their clinical experiences could provide false assurance and may have unintended consequences for those with persistent symptoms. The team concluded that COVID-19 was significantly linked to an elevated risk of loss of smell and a loss of taste in both the first 30 to 180 days and the later period 181 to 360 days. Now, those risks were also elevated for cognitive impairment in the early and late periods and for shortness of breath, weakness, and heart palpitations. The risk of streptococcal tonsillitis and dizziness were lower but still significantly elevated in both periods, while hair loss, chest pain, cough, myalgia, and uh, respiratory disorders were significantly higher only in the earlier period. Risks among males and females were slightly different, and children had fewer persistent symptoms than adults in the early period, which mostly resolved within one year. It's time now to play Pick Your Myth, featuring the U.S. Surgeon General Vivel Murti. Dr. Murthy will make some opening remarks, then you'll hear a brief musical jingle followed by the myth. There are four myths, count them. Which one do you believe? One of the
4: biggest obstacles we have right now to getting through this pandemic is the challenge of health misinformation. Here's some common myths that are not true. There's a myth out there that the COVID vaccine causes COVID. It does not. There's also a myth out there that the COVID vaccine causes infertility and mutations in your DNA. Both of those are not true. They're not supported by any scientific evidence. There's a myth out there that the number of COVID deaths uh, and hospitalizations are being overinflated. It turns out it's actually the other way around. We anticipate there are actually more deaths from COVID than what we are officially counting right now because of the limitations uh, in our ability to count. And we're seeing that all around the world. Uh, Some people also have heard the myth that the vaccine contains a microchip that it's used to track you. That's absolutely not true either. So the bottom line is make sure you get your information from credible sources. Talk to your doctor, talk to your local department of health, talk to your children's hospital, go to the CDC website. Find credible information about the vaccine. Then if you encounter misinformation from other people, make sure you kindly and gently let them know that that's not the truth and help them get the truth, either by going to their doctor or directing them to a place like vaccines.gov, where we have scientific information about the vaccines for people to to understand. So all of us have the power to help take on help misinformation, make sure that people we love are not being misled by misinformation and making decisions that could ultimately harm them and their families.
0: Now, my favorite myth is the last one, that a chip was injected in me to track my movements. Recently, researchers got a hold of two big troves of data on literally millions of Chinese people, some of whom have been able to retire early due to a government program that offered pensions, and then there were some who kept working. Then they wrote up their findings in the peer-reviewed journal, Journal of Economic Behavior and Organization. Now, the data also recorded people's performance on various cognitive tests and memory assessments and revealed some striking results. In short, assistant professor of economics Plemen Nikolov of Binghamton University and his co-authors determined that the new pension program, quote, led to significant adverse effects on cognitive functioning, thinking. Here are some possible underlying factors that connect early retirement to cognitive decline. According to the data, early retirees had lower rates of volunteering, social interaction, and even simply using their brains for challenging tasks. Nikolov says, if you rest, you rust, adding, don't isolate yourself. Retiring and doing nothing, not using your brain because you don't work anymore, leads to other consequences. And The professor was not talking about good consequences either. Well, here's something that you might find interesting. Weed consumption among seniors has increased by four times in the last seven years. A University of Colorado study suggests that the use of whole plant cannabis does not have a negative impact. In fact, the opposite is true, and we're talking about a negative impact on cognition. The study examined the effects of cannabis use in adults aged 60 to 88 with no history of alcohol or other substance use disorder. Gary Wink, Ph.D., noted that while high THC levels can have negative effects on the adolescent brain, the opposite is true with older brains. Older cannabis users compared to non-users have significantly greater neuronal communication between the cerebellum and the hippocampus. Why? Why? Age-related changes in the endocannabinoid system include a decrease in the number of cannabinoid receptors throughout the brain. During normal aging, the decline in cannabinoid receptors correlates with increased levels of inflammation in these brain regions, causing loss of neurons in the hippocampus, which is critical for learning and memory. This explains age-related memory impairment and how smoking pot can help alleviated. Wank referred to his own laboratory studies that showed improved memory, decreased brain inflammation, and increased hypocampal neurogenesis in older brains after the daily stimulation of cannabinoid receptors, i.e. smoking pot. Hey, According to a Gallup poll taken in 2020, the number of books read by Americans 55 and older dropped from an average of nearly 17 read a year to 12, while there has been little change in the average number read by those younger than 55. Older adults traditionally read a lot more than younger adults did, but the difference has vanished. Overall, Americans say they read an average of nearly 13 books during the past year, a smaller number than Gallup has measured in any prior survey dating back to 1990. The decline is not because fewer Americans are reading at all, a percentage that has held steady at 17%, but because Americans are reading fewer books. Now we talk with Amber Philbeck of Ann West's District Library in Carterville, Illinois. Amber has been recently named the adult librarian there, and she tells me about boomers. Who visit her library?
1: I'd say they're probably one of the groups of people that are in here the most getting books.
0: What kind of books do uh, the people who are baby boomers normally check out?
1: Well I think there's a pretty big variety like with most people but um, they do read a lot of fiction, a lot of uh, mysteries, kind of general fiction, bestsellers, that kind of thing and a lot of, I've seen a lot of nonfiction go out with them too. So,
0: What type of nonfiction?
1: it 's kind of all over the place, but I know a lot of biographies get read um, there's it's kind of a varied interest on the other aspects of it um, but just kind of about the world, just kind of learning new skills, new things
0: as a librarian, have you found and i 've talked to other people who've had the same problem that um, your cell phone, which you 've got right next to you, mm-hmm. has become more dominant than reading books
1: i For certainly, for some people, I'd say that's the case, but I think there are a lot of people that still like to have a physical book and and like to read that, though. I don't think that's gone away.
0: Now, what do you um, think the future looks like as far as older people reading, based on your observations as an adult librarian?
1: Um, I think they'll still be coming in for print books, for sure, Um, but I do know that I've seen a lot of um, older people checking out audiobooks on CD, um, I'm sure they probably do that on their devices as well. But audiobooks seem to be a pretty popular option.
0: I wrote a novel, and I uh, I sat in my closet for one summer uh, doing the audiobook, and I'm finding that those are selling pretty well compared to the print book.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's a big interest in those. I've been reading a lot of those myself because I can listen to them in the car when I commute. So,
0: I have a friend of mine, one of the contributors to OK Boomer, uh, Bob Smith, he's the one who worked with me in Anna at uh, WRHA Radio back in the 70s. And this hit me as if it were something I never heard before in my life. I was telling him that I read maybe one or two books a year now. I used to read four or five. I'd have four or five piled up. I'd be re- you know go from one book to the other. And he suggested audio books. And it just struck me like, why didn't I think of that?
1: Yeah, there's there's definitely an ease to get through an audiobook that you don't necessarily have with a print book. Sometimes a book that I don't particularly love, but I want to try to get through, I can turn on the audiobook and it keeps going whether my concentration is there or not. So I can still come back to it. And, you know, I don't have to put in as much effort to continue reading it. And I still get all the information.
0: And you're a librarian.
1: I am a librarian and I definitely still lose uh, concentration when I read.
0: Now, uh, have you noticed that you have lost concentration more often and for longer periods uh, because of cell phones?
1: That's probably a factor.
0: And COVID. uh, I noticed everyone uh, wearing masks when I first started coming to this library. And um, there's isolation. Do you find that's been a problem as far as concentrating on your reading?
1: It could be. I haven't given that a lot of thought.
0: Okay. What do you think, looking into your crystal ball, which you have right in front of you, uh, what do you think the future is for the baby boomers and reading, say, audiobooks as opposed to printed books?
1: I'd say that that could go either way. Trying to predict that is is really challenging, um, but I, I think audiobooks will only become more popular as time goes on.
0: That was Amber Philbeck, adult librarian at Ann West District Library in Carterville, Well, glancing at the clock, I see it's time for our coffee break and get up and, oh, it always hurts, and stride down the hall to the coffee machine where we're not only going to have some coffee, we're going to have some candy. <laughs> Jill Graskowitz answered this question of mine. Jill, you have found a new favorite dessert. You're excited about it.
3: What is it? My 12-year-old daughter kept hounding me for this fancy candy that she found on TikTok. On TikTok? All the kids are watching the tiki Talkie. Yeah, the Tiki-Toki. Yes, the Tiki-Toki. And the, uh, Smatch Chat and, uh, the, the, uh, Insta-Sham and, you know, all, all... All of insta- all of that yeah. insta sham, yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, even though I know the correct words, I like to hustle her a little bit and just rattle her cage and make her upset and hear let her hear, you know, oh mom, that's that's not how you say that. You don't know anything.
0: See, my mom just used to send me up to my room.
3: No, I want to be very involved in this stuff, and I need to see what's going on when she's on the computer or on her phone.
0: And I would imagine you tested the uh, candy in
3: question. Absolutely. So as the good mother that I am, I came through. It was the number one thing on her Christmas list. I didn't know much about this freeze dried candy. When I was growing up, my, my grandfather was into dehydrated. He would bake his own jerky and fruits and things like that. But this is completely different than dehydration. Freeze-dried is something completely new. So I got on Amazon and I typed in TikTok freeze-dried candy. And all of a sudden I get, you know, thousands of different things. There was Jolly Ranchers, gummy worms, um, you name it, and it's on there. I ordered one bag. I paid $5.99 for it. I got free shipping. It came I opened the box. I looked at it. Was like meh. Threw it away. Or not not threw it away. But I put it back in the box. Threw it in the closet, and waited until Christmas time. It wasn't until I went to a Christmas uh, fair that I found uh, a booth that was selling freeze-dried candy, and I didn't even realize what it was. I was just stopping by this booth, and I saw all these things. I thought it was soap, and There was uh, one thing that really caught my eye and it said Milk Duds. Milk Duds, I, I have a soft spot for Milk Duds.
0: Yes, you look like you are a Milk dud type lady.
3: Love them. However, I don't like the way it feels on my teeth. I'm very particular about my teeth.
0: Kind of a slimy feel, right?
3: Yeah, and it sticks.
0: Yeah, it sticks. Yeah, I remember that as a little kid. I enjoy that feeling. But I also like clams on the half shell. Back to the freeze dried candy.
3: Well, and I also don't like cavities. I don't want that, that sugar staying in my teeth. So the lady offered me a sample because I was obviously going to buy some more to add to my daughter's stocking. When I tried the sample of the milk dud, I was hooked. It was so good. It was like a Milk Dud puff, but it tasted exactly like a Milk Dud, just without being all over my teeth. And before I knew it, I had the whole container ate in the car before we pulled in the driveway. So that night I bought uh, 10 different bags of candies and I couldn't wait. I had to share them with my daughter, with my husband. Uh, We all sampled them in the car. I'd heard about them, but I didn't really pay attention to all the hubbub about it. And it's so cool. You have to try it. So immediately when I I tried the Milk Duds, working with seniors, I realized that this is a simple thing, a pleasure, that can bring, it back, bring us back to the past without having our teeth fall out,
0: especially if you have
3: dentures or dental work. Um, I mean, I can't imagine avoiding taffy for 20 years because you've, you know, you're trying to hold your top teeth in and not embarrass yourself, but you still want to enjoy the saltwater taffy that you always got at the fair.
0: And you can get it now, freeze dried.
3: Yes. There's a whole list. Uh, If you, you name it, they can freeze dry it. We tried freeze dried apple pie. My husband loved it. And he's 50. No dentures yet. My husband tried the pecan pie. And he said it was divine. It was a gigantic ball, kind of like a a, a popcorn ball that you get in the fall, but it was pecan pie and apple pie. We tried different flavors of the saltwater taffy. We tried caramel M&Ms. We tried the suckers that are uh, caramel apple. They have Charleston chews. They have Werther's caramels. They have Twix. They have Snickers. The, the, it's just an endless supply of what you could have it's kind of like I was in Charlie's chocolate factory without all the sin
0: a sinless dessert
3: kind of the bad news is that freeze-dried candy does retain its nutritional value. So even though it looks like this nice puffy dessert, it feels good in your mouth and you can be nostalgic and go back in in your life and your childhood and remember what these things tasted like, it does still have all of the calories. They don't go away with the freeze-drying process.
0: That means if you enjoy a case of milk duds, it's gonna go to the waste.
3: And be sure to brush your teeth
0: afterwards. And from freeze-dried candy to lollipops, not freeze-dried, we introduce Roger Ramjet, Roger Davis, who looked like the character Roger Ramjet, and he's going to be playing a song from the early 60s, oriented around candy.
5: Our nation for his adventures.
6: Just be sure and
2: stay tuned to this station. The Cordettes have two songs on my favorites list, and this is the second of them. This song was written by Julius Dixon and Beverly Ross. They had written together before and had a songwriting session scheduled, but Julius showed up late. His reason? His daughter had gotten a lollipop stuck in her hair. Beverly centered in on the word lollipop. And wrote a song around it. The Cordettes took the song to number two,
7: their last top 10 hit on the pop chart. The song also went to number three on the R&B chart, their only song on that chart. R-R-T. Here's the Cordettes and Lollipop.
0: Dum dum dum
8: la 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 la
0: Okay, folks, let's open up the door to the WDBX Chamber of Commerce and Visitor Center, where Raj and Bob will sing about a segment of the Southern Illinois population.
7: I put the same old part in the same old car for the 1,400th time. I got a raise on my paycheck last Friday night for every hour. I get another dime. I drove my ten-year-old four-door sedan Back to the roadhouse where I dwell I make a living working on an assembly line But I'm working in a living hell Blue-collar job, blue-collar pay It's an eight-hour working day Take what you get, not what you choose And sing the blue-collar blues Tried to get a loan to buy a better house At the bank where I I cash checks The kindly Scrooge in charge of mortgages said Oh, we don't stick out our necks When we add up your food and gas and bills and stuff And give the figures, well, just a tweak The bottom line comes out that for the last ten years You're twenty dollars short each week Blue collar job, blue collar pay It's an eight hour working day Take what you get, not what what you choose And sing the blue Blue collar blues I had a blue (laughs) Blue 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 collar this morning I'll have a blue 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 collar of white but I have a blue blue, blue, blue holler. so if I take the bus and sell my car today the cash will just pay the cost of the principal and the interest for the last 10 years I lost but then they close my account with a small service charge for them to handle paperwork. They say, we're financiers and you're not needed here. It's enough to make me go berserk. Blue collar job, blue collar pay. It's an eight hour working day. Take what you get and not what you choose and sing the blue collar blues. Take what you get and not what you choose and sing the blue.
0: Okay, Boomer returns after this. Okay. okay, Boomers, it's time to blow out that brain fog, COVID related or not. And pull on to the off-ramp.
5: Okay, let's get going with some good trivia here on Hey Boomer. This is Bob Smith along with Marcia Smith with some fun facts for you today. Okay, Marcia, here's a question on art. Okay. How did the first painting acquired by the Museum of Modern Art influence cinema history? It's an Edward Hopper painting.
6: Yeah, was it the lunch counter there in the evening? Well, if it was the lunch counter. Nighthawks.
5: If it was Nighthawks, how did that... Influenced I'm cinema. I'm trying history. to
6: think. Did it uh, film noir? No. I don't know.
5: The first oil painting acquired by MoMA by Edward Hopper was his 1925 painting, House by the Railroad. And if you look at it, it's instantly recognizable as the inspiration for the Bates family home. I was going
6: to say, Psycho?
5: In oh, Psycho, oh, right? Man. Oh. Yeah, the architectural style of the house, <laughs> the perspective, the use of light, unmistakable. They all mirror what's seen in Alfred Hitchcock's film.
6: All right, Bob. A famous singer dubbed Miss Piggy's singing voice in the Muppet movie.
5: A famous singer? You mean Miss Piggy didn't do it herself?
6: (laughs) Who was it? Whose voice was singing? Well,
5: that would be singing in falsetto. Is it a man who Uh, sings it? Yes. Johnny Mathis.
6: Oh no, kidding!
5: <laughs> Johnny Mathis, yeah, the singing voice of Miss Piggy in the Muppet movie. Yeah,
6: we love that. Movie. I'll be darn. How did we know?
5: That's a great piece of trivia.
6: <laughs> Chances <either>. are, <laughs> yeah, sing some of the hits as Miss Piggy. Oh
5: my goodness, that's funny. I wonder why they went to him. I'm sure they're a character voice specialists. that could have done that. Yeah. Why Johnny Mathis? I don't Not know. The, Nothing against Johnny Mathis.
6: No, yeah, that's for sure.
5: Okay. All right. Now, you know that there are U.S. mints in various places in the United States. Yes. If you look at coins, some of the pennies, you'll find an S, San Francisco mint. So tell me, why is there a U.S. mint in San Francisco? It was there for a specific reason. Because uh, the gold? That's right. The gold rush. Mm-hmm. When the gold rush hit, the U.S. government wanted a branch there to buy the gold from the California gold miners. They wanted to get control of this gold, and the branch of the mint opened in 1854. They paid miners the official rate of $16 per ounce. The gold could be sold higher on the open market, but the price could also go as low as $6. First year of operation, the San Francisco Mint produced $4 million in gold coins. That's a lot back in those days. Yeah. Within just two years' time, it had produced $24 million in gold coins. That's why they wanted a mint there. They wanted to get that money in the government.
6: Can you name uh, the richest countries in the world, Bob?
5: Well, you always think
6: the United States is one of those. Uh, this is a 2022 numbers here. Okay, where, where are they? Uh, China is number one with 113 trillion net worth. Wow! I know it's more than twice the United States, which is 50 trillion. Hmm. And then tie for third and fourth is Germany and France, both at 14 trillion.
5: So it's China, the U.S., and then what are the other two?
6: Germany and France, which Germany are tied for France. third.
5: That's surprising. I don't yeah. don't think of France as an economic powerhouse. I think of Germany that way.
6: Yeah, they're yeah. close. That's- yeah interesting it is
5: remember when alfred hitchcock had that show on tv and sometimes in his movies there would be this famous signature line drawing of his yeah, profile yeah. what artist did
6: that oh that's an interesting question was it a fine artist or was it somebody like the guy over at new york magazine
5: was a famous guy <laughs> who had an art background. <laughs> it was Hitchcock himself. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He, his background included drawing, painting, and advertising graphics, and he was an art director in early oh, silent so films.
6: He did, he did his little. Uh, he did his ha- own profile.
5: His own profile. He started out doing title cards in silent films in Britain. The cards they used to put in there for okay. dialogue. That's how he got his start.
6: Isn't that funny? That's how. People break into different uh, fields like that. Yeah. Okay. We're talking nicknames. There's top 10 nicknames of all time. Well,
5: Bob has got to be number one.
6: Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to give you uh, the nickname of a few people, and you tell me who it is. The Bard of Avon.
5: Bill Shakespeare. Yeah. William Shakespeare.
6: Billy. And here's one you should know, The Wizard of Menlo.
5: Oh, that's uh, Thomas Edison.
6: Correct. The Dopey One. The Dopey One and Mr. Dullard.
5: Mr. Dullard, the dopey one. I keep thinking of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Albert
6: Einstein. Dopey one? Yeah. That was his nickname? Yeah, well, that was uh, those were nicknames, yes. That he had? Yeah. Uh, Wow. I don't know. Chairman of the board, not a hard one. Frank Sinatra. Yeah, Old Blue Eyes, the Sultan of Swoon, Swoonatra, and The Voice. He had a lot of them. (laughs) The Sultan of Swoon. You know, this one I did. The Little Sparrow.
5: The Little Sparrow. This must be a, it's a female singer. Yes. Who sang? I don't
6: know who it would be. Edith Piaf.
5: Oh, the French singer.
6: The Chanteuse. That was another nickname for her. (laughs) Okay. And uh, this one you should know. Uh, He was called The Little Tramp.
5: Oh, that's uh, Charlie Chaplin, of course.
6: And this one I like. The Professional Virgin. The
5: (laughs) Professional Virgin. Uh Uh-huh. Who's that?
6: Doris Day. Oh, okay. And and one, I'll just give you a few of his names. You you should get it, Mr. Warmth, Mr. Potato Head, The Merchant of Venom. Oh, that is uh, Don Rickles. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Okay, and
5: Mr. Potato Head, because he played Mr. Potato Head in the um, Toy Story. Toy Story, yeah. Very good. Okay, names. We know that uh, L. Frank Baum got the name Oz for his stories by looking at a uh, file cabinet drawer labeled O-Z, right? Yeah. You had that the right, other the right. other week. Okay, now how did Wicked, the author of Wicked, which was the recent play, uh, musical play, yeah. on, on Oz, how did Wicked author Jeffrey Maguire pay homage to L. Frank Baum by naming the witch? Now here's the name of the witch. He chose the name Elphaba. Alphaba. Alphaba. How does that relate to L. Frank Baum?
6: Oh, I had the uh, initials. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cute.
5: L.F.B. So he called her Alphaba.
6: That's a... yeah,
5: just an homage, just to pay tribute, yeah. to where this came from. I like it. I thought that was cool too. I did. I, I knew about the Oz, but I didn't know that Alphaba got the name that way. All right. Just... Do you like covered bridges? And now sure. that we've got a covered bridge in our area here, one of the few in this part of the Midwest. But where is America's oldest covered bridge? What state is it located in? Is it Connecticut, Vermont, New York, or Massachusetts?
6: My first thought was Massachusetts.
5: That's what I would have thought. But it's actually in New York. We always think of New York as New York City, but of course, New York, upstate New York, is like Wisconsin or Michigan. It's it's pretty rural. Uh, And this one is near Cooperstown, New York, the oldest covered bridge still standing. How old do you think it is?
6: Uh, Well, I'll say 200.
5: It's close to 200. It was built in 1825. So we're coming up on the 200th anniversary. It's located outside of Cooperstown. It's called the Hyde Hall Bridge, and it was named for a mansion it once led to. It's 53 feet long, and it's the only covered bridge in Ostego County. It's also distinctive because... Most of the covered bridges have vertical boards on the side of the bridge, you know, from the ceiling to the floor. This has horizontal, real long horizontal siding. Anyway, almost 200 years old, and cars can still go across it and everything amazing. Yes, it is. That's it for The Off-Ramp. Bob and Marcia Smith, we just want to remind everyone, if they'd like to join us on the web, they can come to our site at theofframp.show. Now back to Robert P. Rickman with more on OK
0: Boomer. Okay, Bob. And despite your assurances, I'm not sure I want to try driving my Civic over that bridge. Oh, I can swim, but the windows don't lower very fast on the car and I might not get out. Okay, Boomer. Answer this question. What does an active person do when it's time to retire from his job as a prison guard? Well, drive senior citizens to places they need to go. Michael Jennings drives a van for the Murfreesboro Senior Citizen Center and to keep in shape, walks a lot too because he recently adopted a puppy. Michael and I talked about his retirement from the state of Illinois and what led him to the Senior Center.
2: Well, after I retired from DOC, I worked for a company called Star Force National. We picked up uh, young men and ladies at uh, military recruiting stations and took them to St. Louis to process into the military. So that was going to St. Louis a couple of days a week. So I was driving back and forth to St. Louis, did a lot of walking there, exercise now. I work here at the Murfreesboro Senior Citizen Center, and I, I keep busy because I'm not a good sitter. And uh, kind of a funny thing, I've got a little puppy now, little, and little puppies have to go outside <laughs> a lot. So we do a lot of good walking, which is good for me, and it's good for him. So that helps me to get out. It motivates me to get out and walk a lot, even though I'm a walker anyway.
0: Some of the people have problems getting around, uh, not just uh, walking like you or I can do easily, but um, they might need to see the doctor two or three miles away, and you help them with that.
2: Yeah, I can. With Through the center here, I can t- take them to the doctor. I have friends that uh, I take to St. Louis to the doctor about once a month because they don't want to drive in the city, and they know I know my way around in St. Louis, so I take Friends to the doctors. I've taken friends to the airport. But as far as yeah, I've taken one uh, uh, about once a month. I'm taking them up to St. Louis to Barnes. And
0: here at the Murfreesboro Center, uh, you drive once a week, is it? Uh, you you drive the shuttle.
2: I drive the shuttle on Wednesday. Yeah.
0: Uh, what kind of a service is the shuttle? I, I have my own car, so I don't have a need for it. But uh, if somebody needs to get somewhere, and they're over what 60, 65. You'll 50, be able to
2: 50 and over. And if uh, a lot of the people that we carry can't or don't own a vehicle, and we we only only drive in the city limits, we go out as far as Walmart, and uh, you know take them to doctor, Walmart, Kroger's, wherever they need to go, and you know it's a, a nominal fee to pay for the gas basically. Uh, so some days we might have one fare, and then some days we'll have four or five, and sometimes we pick up some, and he'll want to go say the smoke shop, to the bank, to the store. So we might make three stops with one person. So it it varies every day.
0: Certainly better than a taxicab service.
2: Oh, and a lot, lots, lot less expensive. What is it uh, per ride
0: as far as cost?
2: Uh, it's two fifty each way. So if I pick you up at home and take you to, say, the doctor's office, pick you up and take you home, it's five bucks.
0: That would have been expensive in 1965.
2: Yeah, but how much were we making in 1965? <laughs> You know, I can't even remember what I was making in nineteen six, Maybe a dollar an hour, you know, a dollar and a quarter an hour. So, you know, but, you know, the people that we pick up are mostly people that are probably, uh, you know, on state aid or something like that that don't have much money. You know, they live in housing or federal or state-supported apartments and stuff like that.
0: Um, you mentioned that uh, when you were working, you were a prison guard. Could you give us some idea of your experience?
2: Well, my main experience was just dealing, learning to deal with people, you know, different society, a whole different class, I guess, of people. But I did learn that you treat people like people, regardless of why they were in prison, you know, whether it was murder or whether it was a rape or if it was just robbery. I say just. Uh it's across the board it's the same. You, you can't distinguish one from the other because we're really not even supposed to know a lot of that. We just, our job is to supervise inmates to get them from point A to point B and back again. You know, make sure they eat if they're going to school, going to yard, whatever they do that way. Our job is to make sure they get from point A to point B and back. Um, we have have had officers that had the attitude, you know, that we're there to punish these guys. We're not. We're there to supervise. And that is stressed in our training. We're in Springfield.
0: Compare how the inmates responded when someone was there with an attitude as compared to your approach.
2: The problem with that a lot of times with, say, I had the attitude and I come in there with my attitude and I'm bad-mouthing the inmates and picking on whatever however you want to say it they're not, they may not be able to get back to me because I might not be there that next day but they're going to get the officer that comes in behind me so they're not going to just they're going after the uniform they don't care whether it's Jennings Jones or Joe they're going after the uniform because that's who they're mad at the uniform because they know we're following the rules even though the guy that badmouthed them or treated them wrong is, did that on his own they don't care You know, we're all the same to them. We're just a uniform. So that's where the attitude comes in. And if you come in there with an attitude, you know, people pick up on your attitude.
0: Compare your work, and you've worked at several prisons in southern Illinois, including Chester,
2: um, with what you see in the movies. I, of course, do the comparison. Every prison movie I've ever watched, most of them are stupid. They don't follow the real world at all. Uh, there's been a couple that were, I would say, closer. But overall, any prison movies I've seen, ridiculous. Not, not real at all. It's all movie. It's all Hollywood.
0: From the way you describe your work as a guard, much of the time was, I would assume, patrolling and sitting, but not much happened, I, I think, from what you've told me.
2: Exactly. We spent a lot of time sitting around watching inmates moving around. And, of course, that part of our job, too, is to keep an eye on them because, you know, they, things happen. And when I first started working for the system, the prison was run by the, by the gangs. And if, you, uh, if they didn't want you in their cell, they'd tell you, say, if you put him in my cell tonight, he'll be dead tomorrow. So What, what prison was this? This was a minority in Chester.
0: When was this and when did it change and how did it change?
2: Well, I started there in 86 and it was pretty much wide open. You go on Front Street, which most wouldn't understand that, but there's a a Front Street where it was just kind of where all the inmates moved from one building to the next, but there'd be inmates just running loose all day long. And anything could happen and and a lot of it did. Um, So the control was minimal. But, you know, this was from the top down. It wasn't from the officers, but it's what we had to do. Because I wondered how in the world we even got, you know, we had to make three counts a a shift. How did we even get a count right with inmates running all over the place loose? I mean, they were inside the wall, of course, but they had free reign to go to this house, cell house, that cell house. And, of course, with the gangs running to prison, you know, that's how they communicated.
0: When did it stop?
2: I'd say it slowed down. I left there in 97, and it had slowed down considerably to what it was. But we had some major gangbangers that, I mean, literally would walk into the warden's office and tell him what to do.
0: Well, that's frightening. Fortunately, it's over. Yeah. From working as a guard in prison where gangs ran the penitentiary to driving seniors who are running errands. At least when Michael looks behind himself these days, all he sees is traffic. Let's go back to that story about retiring to the TV and losing a lot of brain cells, remember that one? Let's talk to a person I met last summer who was an artist and an architect and is retired. But Terry Elliott's retirement began on a down note.
9: Wife ran away with someone who, who sailed better. I retired and my mother in Metropolis uh, banged her head and died all within a three week period. So? So you had to change your plans? Yeah, big change of plans. I ended up taking care of my father, <laughs> very unexpectedly, uh, but no reason not to.
0: You were an architect, uh, and you said you retired at what, the age of 55?
9: Yeah, yeah.
0: What plans did you have after all of this took place when you were taking care of your father? How did you want to occupy yourself?
9: My father had rather severe dementia, so uh, taking care of him was a full-time job. Uh, The intention was to build a sailboat and and sail it. Uh, I ended up being a nurse, but it it worked out fine. I took care of him for three years. Then he died. Then I did other things. What other things did you do? Well, there was a family property. Uh, in Metropolis that my grandparents bought in 1952. The year I was born. Yeah, sorry about that. (laughs) Anyway, my my grandfather and I fished out there. It was seven acres, so uh, my father bought out his brother when my grandfather died, and then I bought out my sister. So I had this seven-acre piece of property in Metropolis, and um, the architecture bug never really goes away, so I started designing buildings to put out there. In building, in fishing, and still sailing, uh, and you also scuba uh, dove. Yeah, I was just, I was a diver for a while, uh, till I got I was a mixed air diver, and off the coast of Belize, on the the far side of the the reef, in very heavy seas, uh, there was trouble with a pickup. And uh, got, once upon a time, I rode a motorcycle, and decided that. I should quit riding a motorcycle before I got killed and I also decided that I should stop diving before I got killed so well you should
0: take up skydiving and maybe flying rockets next
9: next question how old are you now almost 76 what are your plans for the next 10 or 20 years (laughs) to stay alive to stay healthy to finish the lake Uh, to turn the lake association. I'm I'm the president of the lake association. There are seven uh, houses around the lake. Soon to be eight. What's the name of the lake? Oak Glen. And that's near Metropolis. Yeah. Yeah. Oak Glen near Metropolis. Anyway to to turn the lake association into something that is uh, in particular particular energy efficient to improve the lake, uh, plant a bunch of trees, uh, also, plant trees in Metropolis and s- see if we can't turn the thing into something that's you know, changed from really nice to extraordinarily nice. And meanwhile,
0: you have time for painting. That's where I met you here at the art space.
9: Even though it may not be obvious, the pieces of art that you're looking at happen very, very rapidly. There are maybe three and a half hours a piece in these things. So, the the time I spend doing art is intense, but it's not long. Uh, I typically spend no more than a day and a half a week doing art. Uh, Mostly, I work and try to keep my body capable of doing the work I need to do. You work out, you exercise, you look like you do. Some most of it is that the lake is hilly and the trees are big and it's hard to it's a hard place to take care of, and I'd rather do it by myself, so I do it by myself. You seem like you're a bundle of exercise
0: for someone in their mid seventies.
9: Yeah, I hurt a lot. (laughs) So do I. I'm only seventy. Yeah, there's there's another side to this too. We didn't talk about this before, but I, I I. have had Lyme disease for about 20 maybe 22 years and part of fighting Lyme and being tired if you're going to do it successfully is to keep working and pushing.
0: And now let's go back to what we should have learned in history and see if some of it is happening today. No, not in exactly the same way but in a way that might rhyme. And as Mark Twain allegedly said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Edward R. Murrow filed this report in the 1950s.
8: With the exception of the president, no one in American politics receives a larger paycheck than the mayor of the city of New York. From 1934 to 46, with the exception of the president, no one in American politics made more news than the irrepressible mayor of the city of New York, Fiorello H. LaGuardia. Yes, I have the proof that my kind of city government is the kind of city government the people of our city want. Isn't it grand? There isn't a single, solitary, county chairman of either party who is in favor of my administration. To use the phrase that Al Smith like to use in his days, I can run on a laundry ticket and beat these political bums any time. By the summer of 36, time was running out on the New Deal's first term. Now the honeymoon was over. Vital segments of the once strongly pro-New Deal press asked for an end to the pump priming and supported the Republican nominee, Governor Alf Landon. Some called him a Kansas Coolidge. I believe that a man can be a liberal without being a spendthrift. At Franklin Field in Philadelphia, to the cheers of more than 100,000 supporters, Franklin D. Roosevelt accepted his party's second call and began a political campaign that was to win him every state but two.
7: To some generations, much is given. Of other generations, much is expected. This generation of Americans has a rendezvous with destiny.
8: American labor had made many a long stride under the New Deal and was now big business. Its leaders, the Greens, the Lewises, the Hillmans, were like their counterparts in management, major political powers. By 1935, John Llewellyn Lewis had increased the membership of his United Mine Workers to almost half a million, had bolted the AFL and formed the CIO. And on Labor Day of 37, he laid the lash of his biblical oratory upon FDR. It was the climax of a row which had been seething since the little steel strike of early spring, when the president had turned to Tom Girdler and Lewis, and in a rare moment of petulance said, a plague on both your houses. John Llewellyn Lewis answered.
7: Labor like Israel has many sorrows. Its women weep for their fallen, and they lament for the future of the children of the race. It ill behoves one who has supped at labor's table and who has been sheltered in labor's house to curse with equal fervor and fine impartiality both labor and its adversaries when they become locked in deadly embrace.
8: The air age was upon us. The dirigible Hindenburg was crossing the Atlantic in less than 48 hours. Pan American was flying San Francisco to Manila and Hong Kong on a timetable. But the remarkable air achievement was not without its price. Flyers like Ed Musick, Wiley Post, and Amelia Earhart Putnam paid the price for progress. We take you now to Lakehurst, New Jersey. It was drizzling that April night at Lakehurst as announcer Herb Morrison stood beside a WLS sound truck to describe the arrival of the dirigible Hindenburg. The ship is riding majestically toward us like some great feather. And these giant flagships standing here, the American Airline flagships, waiting to race them to all points in the United States when they get the ship moored. It's practically standing still now. They've dropped ropes out of the nose of the ship. The rain had slacked uh, up a little bit. The back motors of the ship are just holding it uh, just enough to keep it from. It's rushing into Get this started. Get it started. It's rising. Right, it's crashing terrible. Oh my, get out of the way, please. It's running bursting into flames and and it's falling on the mooring fast. And all the folks between the this is terrible. This is the one of the worst catastrophes in the world. Oh, it's a lake running oh four or five hundred feet into the sky. And it it's a terrific crash, ladies and gentlemen. The smoke and its flames now. And the flame is
7: crashing to the ground, Not quite to the mooring mass. Oh, the humanity
2: and all the
0: Edward R. Murrell reporting about events between World Wars I and II and during the greatest financial depression in history. Does anything you just heard rhyme with events of today? As usual, you're the poet. And that wraps up OK Boomer for this week. Join me again at 10 o'clock next week on Tuesday for another OK Boomer. And thanks to Amber Philbeck, Roger and Bob, Jill Graskowitz of Club 60, SIU Radio and TV grads Bob Smith and Roger Davis, Ramjet, Terry Elliott, and Michael Jennings. I'm Robert Rickman. Have a nice rest of the week.